Well, thanks for coming, everybody. You know, this uh, restaurant, this, this room that we're in actually has special significance to Rick Perry World. Um, in 2010, he held his last political event here, so it's pretty fitting uh, that we're here. Um, you know, I've been a reporter for the Texas Tribune for three and a half years. Uh, before that, I was at AP. Before that, I was at the Star-Telegram, and before the, the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. Before that, I was at the Houston Post. One thing that hasn't changed in that entire time is that Rick Perry has been in statewide office. James Richard Perry, born 1950, uh, was elected to the legislature in 1984, the year that Ronald Reagan was reelected. But uh, Rick Perry was a Democrat at that time. Um, he won the uh, Ag Commissioner race by the narrowest of margins in 1990. Uh, he was elected Lieutenant Governor in 1998, and he's been Governor for the last 14 years. Um, and of course, he may run for President again since that last one worked out so well, right, Rob? Uh, finally, what, this what was wrong with it? <laughs> Finally, this summer, Rick Perry stepped out of statewide politics, or we think anyway, it really wouldn't shock me if we have a comeback at some point. Um, but so tonight our task is, is really to look back, to slice and dice Rick Perry's legacy uh, 14 years later. Uh, and we have a lot to think about. The Texas miracle, is that, did Rick Perry bring us the Texas miracle? Is the Texas miracle a mirage? Uh, built on the backs of poor people and uninsured, as some of the Democrats say. Um, what are we going to remember uh, 20 to 30 years from now? So that's the, what I'd like us to think about. So I'm going to start with you, Deirdre. Are we better off today than we were 14 years ago? Yes. And, w and why? <laughs> or are you entertained? Uh, I mean, all the economic data proves it. It all bears it out. And, and I'm not talking com coming from partisan sources, but sources like the Dallas Fed show that personal income's up, employment's up. Every indicator of economic growth is up, not just a little, but a lot. We lead the nation in almost every single economic indicator. Job creation. I heard. I once heard one, someone say, "If you're going to be unemployed somewhere, you want to be unemployed in Texas because you actually have a chance of act, of getting a good job." And these are good jobs. The myth that these are all minimum wage jobs, low-paying jobs, is just that—a myth that was debunked by the Dallas Fed. So, the answer is yes. I mean, all you have to do is look around in any city in in Texas and look around and see the boom. See. The 1,200 people coming to Texas every single day, they're coming here for a reason. It's because we have the strongest economy in the nation. I should have introduced Deirdre. I forgot to do that. I forgot to introduce everybody, in fact. But Deirdre uh, served um, as, she's worked on every major uh, Rick Perry political endeavor uh, since 1998. She managed his first campaign for governor in 2002. She served as his chief of staff from the fall of 2004 through the summer of 2007. She was also chair of the Transfer, Texas Transportation Commission from 2008 to 2012. Um, Rob Johnson, sitting next to Deirdre, is a seasoned Republican strategist with over a decade of experience in politics and government at the state and federal levels. He's a native of Crossett, Arkansas, and a graduate of Southern Methodist University. He got his start with U.S. Representative Jay Dickey. Uh, he ran David Dewhurst's successful 2002 race, uh, and he was campaign manager for Rick Perry in 2010 and for his presidential campaign. Then we have Harold Cook, uh, who has more than 25 years of experience in Texas politics. He served in the Ann Richards administration. Uh, and has worked as an advisor to Democrats in both the Texas House and Senate. Um, he has a BS, capital B, capital S, in political <laughs> science, and he's from Houston. State Representative Donna Howard uh, was first elected to the Texas House in 2006. Next year, she embarks on her fifth full session uh, at the Texas Legislature, where she serves uh, on the House Higher Education Committee, Appropriations, and the Appropriations Subcommittee on uh, Education um, Spending. And she's also an Austin native and was trained as a critical care nurse. So if any of us fall over tonight, we're going to be talking to Donna. So, so let's, let's get right back into it, Donna. What about that? Um, why don't you uh, take, pick it up where Deirdre left it off? Do you agree that we're all better off because of Rick Perry 14 years later? Well, I wouldn't say we're all better off. I certainly think some are, but uh, I also first have to say, because it's making me extremely nervous to be here, 
that I'm the interloper up here. I know everybody's wondering, what in the hell is she doing up here? Um, I would never classify myself as an insider here who knows what's going on, but I think as Jay asked me to do this, it's uh, talking about from the policy side, what I've seen in the nine years that I have been in the legislature with uh, Governor Perry. And, you know, uh, the Texas miracle, which we're talking about, there's, there's no question that we have uh, we weathered the storm of the recession and that uh, there is a lot of good going on here in Texas. I've lived here all my life. I I'm just like everybody else. I brag about this state and I think it's great. Uh, but there are a lot of people that are being left behind in this so-called miracle. It doesn't reach down to everybody. And that's part of the issue. We are also number one in the uninsured in this state. Uh, we have a lot of challenges uh, with education, uh, with all kinds of things here. So are we better off? I'm sure we're better off for certain portions of our population. I wouldn't say all of our population. And in terms of the Texas miracle as to whether or not it's a myth, um, you know, there's been a lot of people out there. Uh, I think Deidre mentioned some things, and I never can say her name right, you know, please, um, that have, have had arguments about uh, what the job growth really has been here. I agree with her in terms of what I've seen, that there's been a substantial growth in high-paying jobs. Uh, but, the, but the simple fact is that we've had a lot of people move to our state, and part of the growth that's occurred here has been just simply the fact that we had more people that have moved here. But we did weather that storm. I would suggest that a lot of it had to do with the fact that we happen to have, ironically, a regulation in place that prevented our suffering the same kind of uh, fate that a lot of other states did in that we were not able to, uh, as, as a state, based on a 1997 constitutional amendment before Perry was governor, we're not able to uh, borrow against uh, all the equity in our homes. And that saved us, actually. That's a, a regulation that actually prevented some of our downfall. There may have been other things involved, of course, but you know, I think there's a lot to be talked about here that uh, happened as a result of Perry being in the right place at the right time. Um, and I think there's a lot of people being left out of that miracle. What about that, Rob? I mean, we do have the highest number of uninsured. There are, poverty is stubbornly high here. Um, would you acknowledge that a, a lot of people are being left out of this Texas miracle and that Rick Perry maybe hasn't cared enough about them uh, to do something about it? No. <laughs> to say that Rick Perry doesn't care about the entire population of Texas, that is a myth. And to call it a miracle, I think, is wrong. We can explain this. This happened for a reason. It happened because we have regulatory policies that are fair and predictable. Uh, we have a, a climate that doesn't provide for oversuing. Uh, you talk about health care. 35,000 new doctors have come to our state because of tort reform. Um, and you just look at the economic data, more people are employed, three out of every 10 jobs in the country over the last 10 years were created in the state of Texas, and we only have eight point something percent of the population. You cannot argue with facts. It's fun to get political, but we're talking about this guy's legacy. Did he create these jobs? No. Did he help with the legislature create an environment that allowed for these jobs to be created? Absolutely. Harold, would you acknowledge that Rick Perry has had a positive impact on the economy and that he has really uh, favored uh, economic growth? That, that has sort of been his signature focus, is economic growth. And we, we have created a lot of jobs here. Uh, yeah, there's no question that Texas has created a lot of jobs. And yes, I will acknowledge that to the extent that a governor, any governor, Rick Perry or otherwise, can can be held responsible for a bad economy or get the credit for a good one, uh, then, then it, at the very least, uh, I believe he's kind of stood out of the way uh, and, uh, and, and probably let that happen a lot more so than other governors might have had they, had they been around. But uh, I, I really think, you know, Rick Perry does several things right as governor uh, among them however is taking credit for a lot more than uh, than most governors would have the gonads to do frankly he uh, uh, he doesn't bring up uh, 
the oil boom very often. But, but I, I would guess that, that that has just got to be the biggest job creator in the state. It, it is certainly the biggest boom in a lot of areas of the state. Uh, and, uh, but let's face it, I mean, he, you were talking about health care with, with regard to, uh, to Rob. A lot of people forget, uh, I will give credit where credit's due, he was key to expanding uh, CHIP back in the day. Uh, he, he was key to uh, uh, some reform of, of Medicaid, going for a fee-for-service fee to manage uh, Medicaid managed care. It's not only saved a bunch of money, but it also gets more people care. And so, look, I mean, all of this goes into the economic question. It certainly goes into the health care question. But is he responsible for it? No, I don't think anybody governor could be responsible for everything that's happened in Texas. I mean, economies, uh, you know, the, people try to grow economies everywhere. And in some places in the country, I will grant you, uh, government has made that harder, not easier. Uh, Texans, I mean, starting with when Democrats were, were the majority of the state legislature, uh, they've always been business friendly. Perry continued it, and to the extent where, like, staying out of the way means something, then then let's credit him with that. To the extent, however, that uh, that some people have been left out, uh, either because of budget cuts or refusing to fund things. Uh, or just flat, flat out looking the other way because things were going good enough. I mean, he, if he's going to take responsibility for all the good, I, I think he has to take responsibility for those who have been left out. Dear, do you agree with that, that he has to, he has to take some responsibility for that? One thing I will take issue with, the, the oil and gas boom is a relatively recent phenomenon within the Perry legacy. So if we're talking about a 14-year legacy, you're talking about the, the shell boom going on in Texas, maybe starting in the last four years. So you can't just say so much of it is due to the oil. And the oil and gas boom has been great for the state. I'm, I'm not discounting that. But that's been pretty relatively uh, new. Listen, as a governor, as a chief executive of, of the state, Perry's been very clear. I mean, I, I think that's one of the things that we can all probably agree on. He's very clear on what he believes. And he's been very clear that his job as, he, as, as governor is to set priorities and to make sure that we have an environment where business can flourish. We have to make hard choices. Um, it, would it be easier just to fund everything everybody wanted to fund? Yes, that's always easier, but it's not the right thing for the state. Um, and I think because of his approach, we've seen constant growth in our state, predictability. People want to come here. They're coming here for a reason. They don't come here because they just wake up one day and they, well, okay, we're going to go to Texas. They're coming to Texas, Texas for a job because they know they can find a job. So, you know, he, everyone in politics, whether you're a governor or a mayor or what level you are, you have to make, you have to prioritize, you have to make tough choices. And that's what he's done. And he's been very honest about it. You know, if there's one word that follows Perry around more than any other, it's swagger. Um, I've said if he could, we could bottle Rick Perry's swagger and sell it, we'd all be millionaires. Um, but it, 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 I looked it up. It's, it's overconfidence. It's it bordering on arrogance. Um, Let's I, use I, a different word. Well, I, I, want, I, I wonder if sometimes, though, that, that's not what it is that gets him in trouble. Maybe he it was too much swagger that led to him getting into the presidential race without being prepared for it. Maybe it was the swagger that uh, caused him to do this HPV decision that uh, was, was later overturned. Maybe it was swagger uh, that he called his uh, Republican colleagues heartless if they didn't agree with his immigration policy. Do you think, I mean, to what extent has that swagger gotten him in trouble, Rob? I thought we agreed to use a different word. <laughs> okay. Overconfidence? I, I don't think it is overconfidence. I think it goes back to what Deirdre said. Um, rarely in this day and age with 24-hour news cycles, with Twitter, with Facebook, do you have someone who's comfortable enough in their own skin and confident enough in what they believe is the right thing to do to actually stand up and say, damn it, this is what I believe and this is the direction that I think we should go in. And so I think in a way it's refreshing and I think 
as time passes. And, you know, I, I think it's a little early to talk about a legacy when he still has a month and a half left in office. Um, but I, I think that it's that this is going to go forward and, and it, people are going to say at least we knew where he stood. There are politicians all over this country who one day say one thing and one, say, one day say the next and they govern by polls or they govern by the news cycle. And that's not who Rick Perry is. He is a strong leader and strong in his beliefs and comfortable in his own skin. Donna, are you uh, find his swagger? I'm sorry, that not that word, some other word, refreshing? I just didn't like the definition of swagger. <laughs> refreshing. Um, well, That's the most I, loaded question yeah, I've ever I know. Heard. It's kind of like, you know, Texans on steroids. I think he represents who we are to a certain extent. We, we are a bragging state. I brag about this state. We all brag about this state. That's part of who we are. Can you take too many steroids? Yes. And um, I think you can go overboard with that. And maybe that does instill a certain amount of, of uh, carelessness, if you will, or thinking that you know more. I mean, I'm sitting up here like I know something. And you know, it's, it, it, those of us that are in elected position put ourselves out there sometimes. I have to say, Governor Perry, you know, had a lot behind him when he went on that national stage that probably gave him a lot of confidence, but he wasn't prepared when he got there. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think it can come back to bite you sometimes. Well, it, Jay, he went in as the front runner. He entered the race and became the front runner, and it was the most exhil exhilarating four hours of our life. <laughs> Deirdre, what would you call it? If we can't, we can't call it the S word, what would no, you call I mean, it? Listen, I, Rob and I have both been fortunate enough to know him. I've known him, Rick Perry, since 1997. I spent a lot of time with him, so has Rob. I would, I would never describe him as being overconfident or arrogant. He is a gut player, though. He has very highly attuned political skills, and he's a gut player. And I think because he goes with his gut so freely, um, I think that's what people translate into overconfidence, but I would, there was, there, I have never, I can't, I can honestly say I would have never uh, describe him as arrogant at all. Gut player. So let's think about this. Gut player, this gut player decided to switch to the Republican Party when, when people were just starting to do that. He was one of the first people to do it. Um, then he ran for ag commissioner. Not a lot of people in 1990. Uh, we're wanting to run for ad commissioner that was seen at you know Jim Hightower was seen as hard to beat uh, He barely won that race barely won fought like hell and and barely won the lieutenant governor's race um, in 2009 when Tea Party started there were hardly any public officials that were embracing it He embraced it and he looked like a genius later. So Donna or, or let's let's go with Harold here Harold would you acknowledge that Rick Perry, including with his, his uh, really amazing retail politics skills, is, is really one of the most talented uh, politicians that Texas has ever produced. Oh, I, not only would I acknowledge it, that's why I came here tonight to say, I, this guy, if, 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 if he doesn't do anything else in his career, and I, and I kind of agree, this might actually be kind of early to be talking about his legacy. On, on one hand, you've got a guy who's got a better than average shot of being convicted of something. On the other hand, you've got a guy that's got a better than average shot of being the next Republican nominee for president. That's a pretty wide, uh, pretty wide possibility, range of possibilities here. So we may be talking about this a little early. Uh, but yeah, no, I, Rick Perry's political instincts uh, are, you know, I don't know that, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling, I'm wanting to say second to none uh, but even if somebody's surpassing him around here, it's not by much. Look, this guy, uh, yeah, it, it was gut moves. I mean, Deirdre's right. I mean, he's a gut player. Uh, when I first met him in 1989, he was a middle-of-the-road Democratic legislator. He was on, sat on the House Appropriations Committee. Uh, you know, didn't do anything to upset anybody. He was mostly there to make sure you know, A&M's budget got taken care of on the Appropriations Committee, and uh, but also that session he was the floor leader uh, for the TDA sunset bill, and therefore, and, and the Chemical Council and others were on his side, and they were all allied against what Hightower wanted in, in, his, uh, in his sunset bill, and he 
he won that battle. I think he won just about every amendment on that bill. Uh, and uh, if he hadn't already had the idea of running against Hightower before, then he probably had it then. Uh, and it, look, it, it's nothing to decide if you're a Republican in Texas today, by golly, I think I'll run for something because all you have to do is be the nominee. I mean, I mean that's the way. I mean, the way to get elected in Texas these days is to avoid being the Democrat. But but back then, that was not the case. And so it it was at some risk that he switched parties, ran against Hightower. It was at some risk that he ran against John Sharp. Uh, it was at some risk that he showed up at this Tea Party rally in Dallas way way back then. I mean, I mean, incumbent politicians just didn't embrace that movement back then. But he decided, I guess, that he'd rather, he'd rather be at the head of the line yelling charge than at the, at the end of the line trying to keep up, which is where a lot of Republicans ended up. Look, this guy has shown a highly advanced ability to morph into things, areas that he was not previously in. Uh, and he, best I can tell, I don't think he's ever done it in the wrong direction politically for him. It's obviously served him well. There, there's a 18 year old man in the back of the room who was four years old when he became the governor. So you, you can't argue with that longevity. So no, I, not only am I willing to acknowledge it, I, I think if he doesn't do anything else in his life except just retire from this job, uh, then I think that's what we'll remember about him 20 years from now. Deirdre, you said gut player, but I mean, surely he's got some kind of way that, I mean, how did he know that the Tea Party thing, what, what's he reading that, that we're not reading? How did he know that this thing was going to take off in the way it did? Well, first of all, he reads everything. I mean, he will read, as Rob knows, he reads every website there is out there. And I think he, um, because he is so such a voracious, voracious reader and, and consumer of what he, would of articles from all sorts of media, I think he saw something coming. And, you know, it wasn't something like he was just catching a wave. He felt it. He, he, he was frustrated way before the Tea Party movement because it was caught on video in a house party in Iowa when he was stumping for Giuliani, right? Where he was complaining about overspending at the federal, uh, on the federal government. And, and that, he caught a whole bunch of hell for that from the Bush people. But he really believed it. And so I think when he saw this Tea Party movement for forming, he understood it because he agreed with a lot of the premise of what started it. Um, Rob, you want to add to that? or uh, What Harold said. <laughs> and, and, you know, I mean, the point is we're not here talking about the legacy of Governor Sanchez. We're not here talking about the legacy of Governor Bell. We're not talking about the legacy of Governor Hutchison. We're not talking about the legacy of Governor White. We're talking about the legacy of Governor Perry. He is a damn good politician, and whether you agree with him or disagree with him, I, you know, I know Harold doesn't agree with all his policies, but it's hard to argue that he is a good politician. He's a good politician who was also in the right place at the right time, though, with some of the things that y'all are talking but, but about. But he capitalized on it. I mean, sure. this guy, yeah, as a retail politician, to be with him and watch him work a room, he'll spend 30 seconds or 30 minutes, however long it takes, to find that one connection with the person he's talking to so that that person leaves and knows that they're important. Well, every time we've all been in rooms with him where he's given speeches, we know that he reaches out and says particular people's names. I mean, he's absolutely very good at what he does. But there have been instances where he's benefited from just being in the right place at the right time. I mean, for gosh sakes, he was lieutenant governor when Bush got elected. And it's not by any act of his that we had the shell play. Um, you know, the thing, things happen that he happened to benefit from, but that doesn't take away from the fact that he's also a good politician. You know, compared to the Bush era love fest, which I remember and covered as a reporter, it's been a lot more partisan around the Capitol. I think that's clear to say. On the other hand, Rick Perry signed the hate crimes bill. He signed life without parole. Uh, he championed creation of the margins tax, which a lot of people have forgotten, but is not a, not a very popular thing at the Capitol now uh, to solve the school finance problem. He signed in-state tuition uh, for undocumented immigrants also, which a lot of Republicans now want to overturn. 
Um, and uh, though he came to regret it, he also signed that executive order mandating the HP vaccine, HPV vaccine uh, for girls, young girls in Texas. Donna, did he reach across the aisle to you when he was governor? Well, yes. I mean, certainly when I first came in, I don't know that we've had as much conversation later, but uh, when I first came in, the margin tax was the first thing I was going to have to vote on coming in in that special election for that special session. Um, you know, the Rick Perry that I worked with then versus who I've seen uh, in, in the past several years, he he was at least trying to bring together a bipartisan solution. It may not be what people like, and certainly there's a lot of people that do not like the margin tax. I get that. But at the time, people didn't like their high property taxes either. And this, this was an effort to try to bring the, the business community together to come up with some kind of a workable solution that they could all sign off on. And so, you know, at, at that point in time, I saw him as a person working more in a bipartisan fashion, bringing people together, trying to find something <laughs> You know, clearly it was not something that the Democrats as a whole supported, but this was something that was trying to reach a solution. Now, I think it was a bill of goods to a certain extent in that we were told it was, we were going to have this fund that was going to grow with the economy. It was never set up to actually do that, so we, we are where we are now. But from my perspective, the most recent legislative sessions, back the past two or three anyway, what I saw happen and, and this is as somebody who just works in the legislature. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not somebody on the inside with him. But I saw somebody who was then looking at setting up his political platform for his national run and hog-tying us at the legislature in terms of what we were able to do for Texans, and particularly if you go back to when we had the 2011 budget cuts. And there was a clear message from the governor's office about if you do certain things, they will be vetoed. You may not touch the rainy day fund for anything except the supplemental budget. All these things that were giving him the platform he needed, and he went out immediately after the 2011 session. I listened to him uh, when he was in uh, New Orleans at the, whatever, I never can remember, it's a Republican. RLC. Thank you, whatever it was. He's there, you know, before he's announced for his presidency, he's there saying, you know, Texas miracle, Aren't we great here? I was able to, to, to uh, maintain basic services and, uh, and, and we didn't raise any taxes and we kept $6 billion in the rainy day fund and, and, we, and I did all that. It's a Texas miracle. We're doing great. Well, we weren't doing great in some of our opinions. And, and to me, that was more using Texas to set up his national platform. Um, that's not who I saw, and I don't know when all this started. I don't know what the game plan was, of course. But when, when I first came in, and, and did, we... Did you watch that 2012 <laughs> race? <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> but I mean, I, I do feel like there was more of an effort to reach across the aisle when I first came in as opposed to what I've seen in recent sessions. Rob, why have we gotten increasingly partisan? You and me? <laughs> no, what... what Donna was talking about with uh, th that we've gotten increasingly partisan and that uh, it's basically pointing out that it's how convenient that she, he ends up in Iowa talking about all these sort of partisan things that happen in the legislature well, I, while he was preparing to run for I president. Got it. I, I think um, I personally think that Washington DC is what is partisan. I think if you look at Texas although philosophically ideologically we may disagree we pass a budget we balance a budget we get things done we have a part-time legislature that comes in every other year and has to get things done they're not there every day yapping on cable television and i think that i think a lot <laughs> i think a lot of the uh the hyper partisan is spillover from washington if you look at just results in austin texas in the state of texas and i'll say it again we balance budgets we cut taxes we 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 do things together we have democratic chairmen that are appointed by republican speakers that are appointed by republican lieutenant governors uh you don't have that in washington so i i think that it's i think it's depends on which you know let's be honest it depends on which side of the aisle you're on if you think it's partisan or not and i'd also point out there's really no difference if you think about the 2003 session the 2011 session his position on budget cuts and right. taxes and was the same so I would argue 
he's been pretty consistent. And I would also point out that I would say bipartisanship has to be a two-way street. And I wasn't chief of staff, I wasn't there in the Capitol in the last couple of sessions, but I, I think increasingly with the longer Perry has been governor and the more th that either Democrats have tired of him or, or, or whatever, there has been a shutdown on the other side as well to work with Governor Perry. So, I mean, I was fortunate. I was there back in 2006 when we did the margins tax, and we did have some, not a lot, but some Democrat crossover well, support it, it, for he it. He appointed a Democrat to run that commission. Exactly. So, I mean, I, I guess my point is I don't see a difference in his positions. Um, I mean, I may be missing something, but he's been pretty consistent all, around the year, all, along the years on all these issues. Harold, it sounds like peace and love is broken out at the Capitol. <laughs> Yeah, sounds like it here tonight. I can't imagine it's the feeling out of the Capitol. Look, I, Rob just said it. Uh, look, there, there, have, there has absolutely been a change in Rick Perry's tone as far as bipartisanship in the recent years. I'm getting to the point Rob that he Johnson? said. Rob Johnson? Uh, what he just said was, back in that margin set fight, yeah, he, he appointed John Sharp to lead the commission. He called on the guy that almost beat him for lieutenant governor to help him figure out the, the situation with, uh, with public school funding and, and the tax, tax swap that would result. Can you picture that happening today? I really can't. But it really, I think, gets back to what I was saying earlier and what we, I guess we were all kind of in agreement with. I kind of think that, that the more partisan, strident tone uh, that, that you've seen out of Rick Perry, probably Donna's right to, to prepare him to run for president, uh, is, I don't think it's his invention. I, I think he's responding to uh, the, political, uh, the, the political tone he sees external to that. And, and I, you know, look, if you're the governor of Texas who wants to be the president, I would imagine that almost the entirety of your audience is Republican primary and caucus, uh, caucus goers in Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina. Uh, and I can assure you those voters are not the slightest bit interested in bipartisanship. I mean, they want to get them down and kick them guy. And uh, I don't know that Rick Perry's positions had, had changed much, Deirdre, but his tone sure has. And I think it actually served him well. I think it was one of the reasons that he zoomed to the top of the pile uh, in, in the presidential race. He wasn't able to stay there long, but he entered that race at the top. And I think one of the, I think one of the reasons why was, was his take no prisoners attitude around the Texas Capitol and, and the fact that he was just gonna mow over the Democrats whenever he could. I'm going to ask one more question, and then we're going to open it up to questions. Um, you know, look, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Rick Perry has been good to the news business. Um, and I, I think we're going to miss him, uh, and I'm not ashamed to say that I will miss him. He's personable. He's bold. He's flashy, uh, bordering on reckless sometimes maybe. But, again, that's good for us. Um, but it causes me to, to wonder, you know, in what I'd like uh, you guys to weigh in on this. In what ways do you think that the far more cautious and lawyerly Greg Abbott will contrast with flashy, bold Rick Perry. Deirdre? Oh, I, I think you just sort of summed it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what you said. I mean, you know, I said it earlier, Rick Perry's a gut player. There are not a lot of lawyers out there who are gut players. You know, Abbott is going to be a much more deliberative governor. There will be a definite difference in style, and it's going to be a, it's going to be a, I think it's going to be something that the Austin political culture is going to have to take some time to adjust to and, and come to terms with because we've been used to a certain style from Rick Perry for 14 years and it's going to be different from Abbott. I mean, they're very different people, very different backgrounds. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, don't think, I, I don't think Abbott is going, to, is going to bring that sort of same swagger to the office. She said the S word. <laughs> Harold, Harold uh, are, you, are you going to miss Rick Perry? You know, I actually am. Uh, it's hard to imagine a more uh, interesting uh, governor than Ray Perry. Look, I, you know, I, do I agree with Ray Perry on very much? No. Am I going to agree with Greg Abbott on very much? No. Uh, but then again, I shouldn't. I mean, I'm a progressive, and, and Texas voters are conservative, so they've been voting on people that, you know, don't agree with 
my views. You know, you just have to get over that if you're if you're a progressive in Texas these days. Greg Abbott is, I think, is going to be interesting in his own way. Uh, but I, I agree with Deirdre. I think the management style is going to be diametrically different. Ironically, probably getting to very similar policy positions and maybe even similar political stances. But I can't imagine Rick Perry sitting through a six-hour meeting, taking a deep, deep dive into the minutia of policy. Uh, he's going to stay at that 30,000-foot level and, you know, let the staff take care of the details. And I can't imagine Greg Abbott not doing that. Rob, that makes it sound like that he's saying that Perry is a policy lightweight. True? I didn't say that. He didn't say that, and it's not true. That was the easy one. <laughs> Donna, Donna, are you going to miss Rick Perry? Well, he, he just tried to start a fight. Did you hear that? Hey, well, Harold he wasn't done missing Rick Perry. Well, you skipped oh, okay. over him. If you want to start a fight, let's start a bar bipartisan fight. There is a fundamental problem with this entire event, and that is that your panel up here has had no tables with which to set our drinks. <laughs> Can I get an amen? Harold, amen. Harold, thank you. You're on my tab, so quit complaining. <laughs> yeah, but we have no way to order. <laughs> <laughs> That's the genius of it. Don, are you going to miss Rick Perry? Well, sure. I mean, I don't think anybody that's been around him doesn't know how personable he is. And, you know, the, the fact is that I, I, I told you before that uh, I used to see him on the hike and bike trail. We would run by and he'd high five me. And this was all until he shot the coyote and then I never saw him again. <laughs> but he's a very personable guy. And, and in terms of your job, yeah, I don't think it's going to be quite as, as exciting at this point in time. But as a Democrat, as somebody who wants to see us move forward, and I would disagree that Texas doesn't have some partisan politics going on at the Capitol. We have been constrained from doing things because people have been so concerned about their primary elections. When I say people, at this point, it's been the Republicans. I'm sure it was that. Everybody always says, well, it was once a Democratic one-party state. I get that. But right now we're talking about people being concerned about their primary elections and being prevented from moving towards solutions. And, and I think part of it has been fed by Perry's national program. So I am looking forward to perhaps a change with an Abbott administration that will allow us to maybe work on some bipartisan solutions. And, you know, as somebody who's UT, I'm kind of hopeful that we'll have some appointments there that will allow us to move forward with recognizing the great things that UT and A&M do and quit messing with them. So uh, we're going to uh, take some questions. I don't get to miss Rick I Perry. <laughs> What's that? I don't get a chance to miss Rick Perry. Uh, do you want to? You were supposed to be ordering our drinks. <laughs> oh. um, so I, I would love it if, if you guys would uh, come up and, and ask some questions. So I'm going to put turn the mic around. So you want to? Can you? Thank you. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Did you bring it up for the class? Could the panel comment on the legacy in healthcare? On opportunities for 90% federal funding on women's issues and Medicare expansion. <laughs> you know, uh, I, listen. Rick Perry's been pretty, pretty, um, pretty clear that he opposes the expansion of, of of Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act, which is not to say that he has not put forward solutions. He you know, he was on the forefront of trying to do some things, um, put, put in place some policies back in, what was that, 2007? 2007 when we passed the Medicaid waiver bill. Uh, we worked very, Governor Perry was very instrumental, worked very hard with the administration on that waiver proposal that ultimately went nowhere, but what he thought as a better solution to, a good solution to addressing part of our un, uninsured problem in Texas. So. You know, he doesn't support the ACA. There's nothing that's going to change his mind. You know, not you know, oh, we're going to get 90% back from the federal government. His, you know, he's going to argue, they're they're they don't have any money. I mean, th that's all fake money. It's all borrowed money from the Chinese. It's not a solution. He has put forward solutions. Unfortunately, didn't go anywhere. So, you know, I just think he comes at it at a different uh, from a different perspective. 
Okay, slight change in procedure here. If you have a question, just sort of shout it out and I'm gonna repeat it over the mic so that we'll have it on the recording. Just as a point of clarification, the federal funding that was turned down for Medicaid expansion was not related to the Affordable Care Act. Well, it was expansion of Medicaid under the... The, the, the Medicaid under the ACA. What's your what's your question? Because the ACA was the included Medicaid expansion that was part of the Affordable Care Act. And I'm, I'm just not clear, and I think a lot of people are not clear on the reasons for it being rejected, given the low incidence of medical care coverage in this state. I, th I think this is one of the reasons. Uh, I don't want to put words in Donna Howard's mouth, but uh, I think it's one of the ways where a lot of people in the capital and maybe even across the state have kind of felt like props in Rick Perry's plays ever since he's ever since he decided he was going to run for president. And I don't want to limit it to Rick Perry because at the same time Rick Perry was trying to be president, David Dewar was trying to go to the U.S. Senate and it was like nobody was winding the store except for House Speaker Joe Strauss. But look, there, there have been a whole bunch of Republicans in other states uh, who were in favor of and did expand uh, Medicare, Medicaid, and, and there were some Republicans in the Texas legislature who were trying to find a Texas solution. Now, I can appreciate that Rick Perry wanted a Medicaid waiver, but if George W. Bush wasn't going to sign his, sign his waiver, nobody else was either. So, you know, I, I would have hoped that if he has, had not run for president, he would have figured out a plan B that did work instead of a plan A that hadn't even worked under a Republican president. I, I think when it's all said and done, uh, I, I'm hopeful that when Barack Obama leaves office in a couple of years, it's going to take some of the politics out of this and, some, and a lot of the Republicans are going to buckle down and figure out how we can make this work instead of just dragging up and saying, I'm not going to let this work. In terms of the amount of money, $100 billion that we're not taking, isn't that a big part of the legacy? I mean, that money is going to other states, so... No, 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 well, no, 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 it's not going to other states. That's, a, that's a fallacy. It just doesn't where, go where anywhere. Is it? It's, not, it's not like if Texas doesn't take the money, we're going to give it to California. That's not true. No, but the I money that's that. going to go to California, this is going to go into the pot that is going to fund what goes to the other states. So. She's absolutely correct. It's not a direct transfer to California. But the fact is that that money's going to go to California, and people seem to be so concerned about the federal government not having enough money. Well, one of the reasons their money's being shored up, it's being shored up with our tax dollars that are not coming back here to help Texans. And you know, we're, talk about funny money. We have funny money here in Texas. If people are averse to taking money because they can't count on it, they should look at us. Because we had a deal with that 2006 property tax swap where we were going to provide sufficient money for schools to, meet, to be held harmless with that swap that we made. And when, when we had the, the downturn and when we had the 2011 recession, all we did is then change the formula. So poof, we no longer owe you what we told you we owed you. Texas does exactly what they're complaining about the feds doing. And the fact is too that Perry uh, did accept federal ARA funds. So there's certain times when apparently the federal funds are okay to take and other times when they're not. Who's got another question? Let's move to another topic. Anybody have a question? Any more questions? Yes. Harold, were you so doing the So the question prep? was, is, was anybody involved in Rick Perry sorry, debate is this prep? For Harold or the representative? <laughs> I think that was for the Republicans on the panel. Yeah, I was in a few of those sessions. I was there. Deirdre, who played Wendy Davis, that the truth could now come out, who played Wendy Davis in the Greg Abbott debate prep, what role did you play, Deirdre, in Rick Perry debate prep? Well, I was Mitt Romney, clearly. No, I'm kidding. I was not Mitt Romney. Were you um, Michelle Bachman? Yeah, Michelle Bachman. <laughs> Harrison. Uh, Anderson. Uh, no, I mean, uh, I, I was involved, you know, I was the policy director. I was, in, I was involved in terms of helping to come up with the answers. I mean, it was up to the communications people to craft it into two-minute answers, but I, I was providing substance um, for, 
for questions that could come up. Don't do that anymore. <laughs> do it different. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think there's a little bit of a revisionist history on some of it. I think he started off solid in his initial debates. Because of the oops moment, everyone assume, you know, thinks he did horribly in all the debates. That wasn't true. And in fact, in that debate, that was the best debate he was having, having until that moment. And it, it, it shows a measure of the man, in my opinion where he's up there and he's trying to think of the third agency, most people would have said anything just to get out of it. And you had Mitt Romney saying, oh, EPA, wasn't it EPA? And no, Perry wanted to get it right. And it, he knew it wasn't EPA, so he said, no, it wasn't that. I'm like, don't just say EPA. Um, so, so, you know, it, it doesn't feel good and it couldn't have felt good for him in the aftermath of all that. And then, you know, he had to go, you know, you had the picture of him up there in Letterman. He had to go around and sort of do that sort of post oops tour but um, even in the debates after that he 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 gave some of his strongest performances but by that point nobody cared and it was it was kind of sad but if you went back and you looked at those debates he did really well and he came back from it in a very admirable way in my opinion well and Emily let's let's be let's all go back let's unrevise history and let's talk about this this was a man who honestly, truly was not going to run for president of the United States. He was very clear about that. That wasn't coyness. He was open and honest with the press. I'll give a personal anecdote. Uh, when Newt Gingrich, yeah, I did that one too, uh, he called me to talk about running his presidential campaign, I went and talked to Rick Perry. And I said, if there's a chance in hell you're going to do this, just let me know. And he said, Rob, I'm not going to do it. You should go take this opportunity. And then a lot of things happened over that summer, and there was a, a, there was an opening. And he he made the decision to get in. We did a lot of preparation, but he's been on, he's been clear about this. We we had a month from the moment that we started doing this, and then he announced for President of the United States on the day of the Iowa straw poll, which is one of the biggest events in some presidential candidates' runs. And so I think that a month versus three years of preparation, or in Mitt Romney's case, six years of preparation, is a very, very different thing. And I can assure you that if he decides to make the decision to run this time, it won't be because he had a month to prepare. I, I find it shocking in a way that um, we've sort of gotten past the oops moment. We don't really talk about it that much. Harold, has he put the oops moment behind him? Yeah, much to my surprise. Uh, Deirdre's husband and I are broadcast partners, and, and I was saying for months and months and months, I mean, for some reason it comes up constantly, you know, is there a second chance for Rick Perry in a presidential race? And for months I said, no, probably not. It's a tough thing to get a second first impression with Republican primary voters or anybody else, which is kind of an odd thing to say since so many of them have successfully done that. But I just figured that over time, if, if Governor Perry was interested in it, he would do all the things you do to try to rehabilitate yourself from a bad first showing. And then when, it, when push came to shove and when it was time to make a decision, you take that poll in Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina, and then you find out that, no, they're not going to give you a second chance. That's what I thought forever. I, I don't think that anymore. I think he's rehabilitated himself very well. I, I'm kind of shocked that everybody's kind of got amnesia about that. Or maybe it just wasn't very important. Maybe, I, I mean, anything's possible. But you know, speaking to the revisionist history in preparation for tonight, I went back and looked at that clip, the yeah. oops moment. Uh, and you know, you, you just kind of start believing your own BS every once in a while and people have talked about it so much that you just kind of remember that, you know, he was a damn fool that night. Well, I went back and watched the clip. He was kind of rocking it until he couldn't remember the third agency and it was I mean he, he got so painfully stuck and then Ron Paul tries to be helpy McHelperson and starts guessing Department of Energy Coast Guard maybe I mean, 
No, and Rob and I were sitting there yeah. watching, going, just say yes, yes, yeah. say anything. I, I still remember right. what the cookie smelled like in the green room that night. <laughs> but I, I mean, I, I just, I mean, I, what, from what I remembered of it, I have to assume it's probably pretty similar to what Republican primary voters in Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina remember of it. And I wouldn't have guessed they would give him a second shot at this. I think it was a very human moment. Okay, we've all had these very embarrassing situations we've been in that we wish we could go back and take back and redo. And so I think most people can identify with that. He just happened to do his, his on a, you know, debate stage in front of <laughs> people watching on TV, unfortunately. I, I would also add, though, that oops moment did not do him in. He was already done in. He was on the downhill slide before then. If he had had a brilliant debate that night, uh, I, I think he still would have dropped out because I think it was kind of too late. That's the other thing people misremember about this. I, I bet a lot of people in America think that the oops moment did him in, and I don't believe it did. What did? I, I, I don't think he was being taken very seriously before the oops moment because when you start doing those deep dives into policy, it's what Rob said earlier. He, he, he wasn't planning on running. He hadn't prepared to run. And when you start getting the detailed questions on policy, I just don't think he was he was. Well, some would say that it was well. his stance on uh, in-state tuition for undocumented. Oh, yeah. No, that, was that in the previous debate to that? The Orlando debate was, yeah. And that was uh, really when he also blew a question you know blew an answer to a question and that was is it was before he was before and you know i don't know if you remember that but but that, that, that shows, was mocked on that, saturday night a, live a great right? example of of the fact that rick perry is not a one-dimensional person this is a person who actually has some uh stated beliefs and philosophies that many of the rest of us can get behind that being one of them and the fact that he stood up for that uh, the fact that he came forward with the Katrina situation and responded so positively there. I, I'm not one of those that's going to stand up here and just bash him just for the sake of bashing him. I don't agree with a lot of what he did. I think he used Texas for his own advantage for the national scene. But I also think that he has shown that he sincerely cares about Texas, too, and he's been willing to, to stand up for that. The, the Katrina moment, I think, was a moment where I've, I've heard people say that was maybe his finest moment as governor when he welcomed in these thousands yeah. and thousands of refugees from Hurricane Katrina. Do you remember that, uh, Deirdre? Can you, any? Yeah, I remember. I lived it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, um, I'll never forget, I got a phone call early one morning from Steve McCraw, who was the director of Homeland Security at the time, uh, saying that, the governor of Louisiana, Kathleen Blanco, wanted to talk to the governor about taking in 25,000 people. Okay, so I called the governor. I said, Governor, Kathleen Blanco has this request. And he asked one question. He said, Have, has anyone talked to Robert Eccles about it? Because it was going to be in Houston, to, the, to go to Houston. And I said, yep, he, he says they can do it. He's like, great, schedule the call. I mean, it wasn't even a question of, oh, can we, you know, are we going to get money? Can our service, you know, can our infrastructure handle this? What about you know, our schools and public, it, it, was, it was a very human response to a human tragedy. And uh, they had that conversation and 25,000 for, became 450,000. But never once did he um, say it's too much, we need to shut the borders. I mean, we literally got to a point where our, our, our shelters were all full our hotels were all full, our temporary housing was all full, and we started having to think of some creative ways to move people to other states. But that was because there was just not a suitable place to put people. Um, I'll never forget going to, with him to Houston, to Austin, to the different shelters, walking around. And he, um, it wasn't just you know a photo op. I'm here to do an interview with Katie Kirk for Today Show. He was going in there, he was talking to people about what their needs were, were their needs being met. The, the personal connections, hugging people, just that's what they wanted. They wanted someone to, to sympathize with them, to be there for them, and that's what he, and he, and, and he, he did that on behalf of all Texans, and I think his behavior and how he treated the folks, the evacuees coming in from uh, Katrina was a, a good representation of how all Texans felt, because it wasn't just the state and the people, I mean, the people were taking these folks into their private homes, and um, it was a great moment for him, but it was a great moment for our state. Joe had a question over here. I agree that that was probably his biggest mistake was the 
So the question is, why did it take 13 years for Governor Perry to send troops to the border? Um, and, and, and was he doing that in order to sort of give himself cover for this unpopular decision within the GOP electorate on in-state tuition? Rob? No. There, there, <laughs> the, he, In a the, word. the National Guard has been has been sent to the border previous to the last 13 years. That was not the first time, Joe. Second of all, there was a national crisis uh, with the unaccompanied uh, minors that were coming across. It was not only it was a it, it was a crisis, and the federal government refused to act. He alerted two and a half years ago the President of the United States to this crisis. The President did nothing. He asked him again. He met with him face to face in Dallas, Texas and said, this is what we need to do. The President came out publicly and said, philosophically, I don't have a problem with what Governor Perry said and then did nothing. So he did it to protect the state of Texas and to help the state of Texas and to insinuate anything else I think is ludicrous. Harold, do you see politics involved in that? Yes. I. Uh Look, yes, there was a quickly. Short, we're going to do one more question. There was a short-term crisis. It was a bunch of refugee kids. Look, I kind of get sending the DPS down there as a temporary measure. I don't get sending the National Guard down there. The National Guard didn't get being sent down there, uh, and 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 the big three just just renewed the deal until next August, which. You know, I, I don't get that either. The Legislative Budget Board has to vote on that. They but, haven't Yeah, but, but they will. I mean, don't you think? Yeah. I mean, what that's what they want to do is renew it till next August. I, I would rather see a cost-benefit analysis in the legislative session. It's like, what has this cost and what has this gotten us? I don't know why they're doing anything until next August when two out of the big three are going to be different big three. Mm -hmm. Who has another question? <laughs> So the, the question is, to what degree in the past has, has Perry uh, been bipartisan and done it in a way that's advanced uh, something of interest to the people of Texas? I can rattle off three right at the top of my head. We talked about one of them, which is the margins tax, which we passed with bipartisan support with Democrat and Republican sponsors on both sides of the, of the House and the Senate. We, um, in order to pass tort reform in 2003, required 100 votes. There weren't 100 Republicans in the legislature back then. It required Democrats coming on board. He worked with Democrats to get that done. Same thing with uh, um, many, if not most, of his transportation reforms that he championed in 2001, 2003. All required Democrat support. He went out, made the case, and got that support. I'm going to squeeze in one more from Crosby back there. Go ahead, Jeff Crosby. So pub the question is about public ed. Um, he noted that uh, SAT scores have hit a 35-year low. I don't have any way to, to verify that, but we have heard that SAT scores are going down. So is this sort of a lagging indicator? Are we seeing some of the effects of the budget cuts, for example? Um, is is um, a sort of uh, bad education result, is that going to be uh, Rick Perry's legacy? Rob, why don't you start with that? Well, uh, Jeff, I would also say that high school on-time graduation rates are up to 88 uh, percent from 50-something percent. I, I don't know the exact number. But under his, his tenure, those on-time gradu graduation rates ha have gone up. Um, also, uh, funding for children to get help to go to college from high school, those numbers are up tremendously. I think if you look at the NAEP scores, uh, the federal NAEP scores, they're up 
a ridiculous percentage. Can we do better in education? Should we do better in education? I think the answer to that is yes, if one child is not uh, making the grade. Yeah, but I think Rob's point is, for every study you cite, I could probably cite another study saying that Texas is leading the way in our public education system. Right. Listen, I'm not, we, I'm not sitting up here and saying that all of our public schools are the greatest and yay, we've figured it all out. But w I, I would argue that it is not as bad as you would, you would claim, and it's not as good as probably I would claim it is. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's, public education has always been the number one priority of the legislature. It's the area of the state that gets the most funding, and that has been the case under Republicans and Democrats going back to, you know, as long as I've been paying attention. And even when we had Democrats in control, the state was still be, was being sued back then for not funding public schools enough. So, I mean, to say that is part of, that is because of Rick Perry, I think is completely an unfair. I'm going to give Donna the last response. Oh, gosh. Well, certainly our demographics are changing. I mean, I, the fact is that we have uh, a huge uh, increase in our lower socioeconomic students. Uh, we have a huge increase in our English language learner students. Uh, the costs that are associated with that are, are much greater. Um, the results that we have, and we can talk about, you know, we, I, I know we can all get competing results here, but, but the fact is that there's still huge gaps between our Anglo students and our uh, uh, Hispanic and African-American students. There are gaps between those that are at the higher end of the economic spectrum and those at the lower end. Huge gaps that have not been closed. Um, the, you know, what, how much of this is related to Perry? How much of this is related to uh, a conservative legislature that's not willing to take this on? How much of this is related to us not being willing to talk about honestly what's going on with our budget? I mean, the fact is that we were talking earlier about funny money and, and how the budget looks. We, we, we are coming into this next session with a surplus, and yet we have a budget that's currently not fully funded. We have all kinds of holes in our current budget. It's balanced on paper only. So a lot of this is something that, that Perry's been a part of, but I think it's it's actually a broader uh, a, a broader responsibility here about what's been going on. I want to thank everybody for coming. This has really been a great event. Um, please give our panelists a round of applause. And I want to say um, thanks for reading. Uh, and if you're not a member of the Texas Tribune, I hope that you will consider becoming a member to keep this great content coming toward you. Um, and I want to thank uh, Evan Smith for letting me do this. This was a lot of fun. <laughs> Turns out Jay's better at this than Evan is. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>